0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. Hi, hi. Well, we have made it to the end of 2020. Just a quick note from me to wish you a very restful break. Take time to process everything that's come up, destabilised, shifted, go gently. Our final podcast for the year is a recording of a conversation I had with Nipun Mehta, who you may remember from issue 60 of Dumbo Feather magazine. We spoke over Zoom for SOCAP Virtual, a global impact summit that took place through October and November this year. The chat begins with an introduction by the Vice President of SOCAP, Carrie Hansen
1: we are going to move into a conversation that is coming as part of our series called socap next and these are kind of the next level of conversations focused on action and focused on the how and the doing of the work some of these conversations will come following uh, SOCAP Virtual, which we just had a couple of weeks ago here in October. This conversation in particular, I'm really excited for us to begin with. At SOCAP Virtual, we talked a lot about moving to a new form of capitalism and what that might look like and how might we do that. We unpacked that in many different ways, looking at stakeholder capitalism all the way into regenerative capitalism, multiple, multiple formats. One of the things that has really struck me about this conversation that I'm excited for us to host today is talking about the how if systems change, but how do we start and where do we begin? And if we're not thinking about capitalism in different ways and how each of us can do that and then how that rolls out to the system, we will have a harder time getting started in this new format. Today, I am really looking forward to having Nathan Scolaro. Uh, he's the editor of Dumbo Feather. He's going to lead us in this conversation. I'm going to turn it over to Nathan. So thank you so much, Nathan, and over to you.
0: Thanks, Kerry. Hello, everyone. It's so wonderful to, to be part of this program and to have this hour together to explore multiple forms of wealth with Napoon Meta. I want to acknowledge the, the traditional owners of the land on which I'm calling in from, uh, the Wawrong people of the Kulin Nations, and acknowledge the elders past present and emerging and I want to extend this acknowledgement to the traditional owners of all the lands on which you're calling in from and to acknowledge the, the incredible wisdom and custodianship that has been shown uh, to these lands for many thousands of years. So we have this hour together with Napoon, and I'm going to introduce Nipun now. He's the founder of Service Space, which is an incubator of gift economy projects that inspires people to be the change they want to see in the world. And we had the privilege of sharing Napoon's story last year in issue 60 of Dumbo Feather, it was actually our anniversary issue. That mag, it's all on belonging. And if you don't have it and you'd like to get your hands on it, it's still available on our website, dumbofeather.com. And you can also look at becoming a subscriber there to and exploring our work. We deliver worldwide. So Napoon has an incredible story of climbing the corporate growth ladder in his 20s before realizing it had no end, and pivoting his life's work to come from a place of generosity. His projects have included Kama Kitchen, which is a restaurant chain where the meal you eat is gifted from a previous customer, and Laddership Circles, a transformational program for people to dive into gift economy practices and learn to lead from within. Napoon was honored an unsung hero of compassion by the Dalai Lama, not long before President Obama appointed him to, to a council for addressing poverty and inequality in the United States. His role is to bring an abundance mindset back into our communities, where giving might well be the ultimate reward and where there are many kinds of capital to trade, from love and kindness to attention and time. So Napoon, it's so good to be chatting with you again, probably a year and a bit from when we last spoke. It's been a big week. It's been an enormous year. I guess I just wanted to check in, first of all, and see how you're doing. Where are you at? I'm doing great. Thank you, Nathan. It's it's great to see you as well. Thank you for the kind introduction. Yeah, indeed.
2: For us in the US, of course, we just had the elections, but I think in the larger context of 2020, I mean, who could have predicted this kind of a year? It seems like a lot of compounding catastrophes in some sense coming together. And I think inviting us to cultivate our resiliency and not necessarily just double down on systems of singular efficiency which is what we have created thus far so it's definitely a testing time for so many and i think also a time of possibility in terms of you know, what comes out the other side and i think that's where you know that's where we can see how to frame a lot of what's going on
0: yeah i'm curious as to how this year might have shaped the work that you've been doing what you've been doing with service space if things um shifted at all has it deepened the commitment to the work Oh, at some level, it's completely showed us how relevant some of those values
2: were. You know, for those that don't know, service space is an ecosystem. We started by building websites for nonprofits back in 1999, when nonprofits didn't even know what websites were. And then we started doing all kinds of other things, doing vertical web portals and, and doing so many offline circles. But Nathan, to your point, you have to pivot. There's no option, even at our own home, right? We used to hold these awaken circles every Wednesday for the last 21 years. And, you know, it's like you sit in silence for an hour and the second hour is a circle of sharing and the third hour is a meal together. And, uh, you know, it's just in my home, there's hundreds of these circles now around the world, but even in our home, like all of a sudden, like nothing, you know, as my mom likes to say, went from having 150 people over one week to absolutely nothing and what does that do for you and that's at a personal level but i think even just collectively when everything starts to go virtual you start to lose a lot of the data points right like it's a, if we were having this conversation in person there's so much more it would be such a high bandwidth interaction even if it's one on one versus now it's just online and i think what you do is you privilege content over context you bias towards the content and in the short term it's like oh that works you know oh it's actually more efficient it's great but you're losing a lot of the context so if you're just looking at a farm and saying oh how do we pluck 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 the fruits you know for a short period you can get away with that kind of a conversation but at some point you're going to have to tend to the soil you're going to have to tend to the roots, you're going to have to see how all the different parts of the ecosystem are interacting with each other. And so for us, of course, like everybody, we also had to pivot and we did. But what was interesting, especially in the context of our conversation today around multiple forms of capital, so we were having many conversations with many leaders and what we saw was that if all your wealth was in one basket which is say for primarily for financial capital so we were talking to like chancellors of major universities and leaders of these institutions and their primary concern this is a little bit earlier in the pandemic their primary concern was i need to secure my funding and everyone's like completely doubling down on that but when all your capacity is going there you have very little left to go out and try something new. You could do maybe status quo, keep up with what you were doing, but majority of your effort just has to go into, you know, keeping the ship afloat and keeping that ship afloat meant really securing a lot of financial capital, uh, which was running dry. And so as a result, there was very little space, like the innovations didn't come and are not coming from those institutions that were, just singularly built on a foundation of, say, financial capital alone. And for us, we were anything but financial capital. So we were for we were heavily in the time capital, right? If you want to think of it as, as another form of wealth. And that was incredibly fluid. And not only fluid, it was we we're totally moved by intrinsic motivators. So everyone's like, wow, the world's going down. And I mean, you know, that's how I felt. And it's like, what are we going to do? And when you're moved by intrinsic motivators, it actually multiplies. It's regenerative. And what we saw was just an exponential increase in people just wanting to help, people wanting to engage, people wanting to see the good. And so mid-March, we actually launched a whole new portal that highlights the stories of people responding with compassion. That platform, what is it called? Where can we find those stories? Uh, It's called coronavirus.org. Okay, great. Karuna is Sanskrit for compassion. Let's create a virus of compassion. Of responding with compassion.
0: I mean I completely agree with you like this time there is a very singular orientation where creativity has been limited and stifled and I've seen that in a lot of people where the fear as you said has kind of been perpetuated but then this limited uh, freedom that we've had has also allowed in some incredible ways people to expand and do creative things that they might not have done before and I've seen that even in my local community there's a bowling club that was completely dead and you know a couple of gardeners have started taking over these lawn bowls and creating organic gardens there but during this period of lockdown you know more and more volunteers were coming down. They were starting to actually create food boxes for families in need uh, in our community. And just, you know, that creativity that sparked from, um, from this period was incredible. And it suddenly became this now, you know, 60 to 100 food boxes to prepare for families in need every week. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we were seeing so many
2: stories of everyday heroes just responding with incredible compassion.
0: Yeah. So I want to unpack some of these forms of wealth that you've been talking about, writing about, speaking about for the past four or five years. But before we launch into them, I wanted you to give us an idea of this term giftivism, which you talk about a lot, and what the gift economy looks like and what it means to you just to kind of launch into that conversation. Yeah.
2: Well, gift economy, there's a lot there, right? But I think this idea we can lead with relationships and not transactions. That transaction is, what can I get from you? What can you get from me? Quid pro quo, tit for tat, that kind of view. I think for me, it's what happens when you lead with relationships. When it's transactional, we have a very singular view of each other. But when we start to move from transaction to relationships, it becomes much more multidimensional. When you do that, and when those relationships deepen, You move from direct reciprocity, which is, how are we exchanging on a very narrow bandwidth here? I give you money, you give me a sandwich transaction to an indirect reciprocity. Where I give to you, you give to the person next to you, that person next to you gives to the person next to them. And because we're in a circle, that person behind me is taking care of me, right? So everyone is still taken care of in the circle, but you're not doing it in a quid pro quo way. And you see this even in the business context, right? Like you see this where if you want productive teams, research shows that if you have givers in your ecology, you're going to be a lot more productive. Adam Grant's famous work, he says there's takers who just take, givers who just give and matchers who are in between. They will put a boundary if you're a taker and they'll be giving to you if you're a giver. And so in any given ecology, you have a mix of these givers, takers, and matchers. And as you tilt the center of gravity of that ecosystem towards givers, trust goes up at a very basic level. With higher trust, you have a lot more synergy and you have a lot more productivity. So Mm -hmm. Kellogg has done all this research on, on how productivity rises when you have a giver ecology. So, I think this is a very relevant question. So, for me, we work in a different scale, not just in a small team kind, but we're also asking these questions around what does it mean to create a culture that is rooted in greater generosity, rooted not just in transaction, but in relationship, not the singularity of transactions, but in the multidimensionality of relationships and what then happens in a field of these relationships. What emerges? What is the collective intelligence that arises? What are the different solutions? What are the innovations that arise in that kind of a field? And so we have been doing it in the field of social change, in the field of voluntary action, in the field of technology as well, designing a lot of technology that is oriented towards intrinsic motivators that is oriented towards deeper connection. It's not just the quantity of connections, it's also the quality of connections. Mm -hmm. So Facebook is a solution for if you want the quantity of connections, right? I mean, LinkedIn also. But what happens if you're going for the quality? How would a tech platform be different if the design principle is to create deep ties? Now, the problem is that as an organizing principle, when you go out and you apply and you say, look, we have all these problems, we have all this suffering in the world, we need a lot of innovations, and now I have this hammer of technology. Now, the thing is, at what point do you tell technology that I need to exercise serenity because this is not mine to change? And at what point do you start to be macho and you say, oh, I'm just going to be courageous so that I can change this, 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 and this? And technology is on track right now to just completely, I mean, the tech stocks have just completely gone off the roof and they're continuing to because we're sort of doubling down on that guiding principle. And is that really wise? Where do we put a stop to all of that? So to me, these are the questions that very clearly come up after 20 years of doing work in trying to create these examples of indirect reciprocity, of gift economy, of giftivism, different ways to say the same thing.
0: Yeah. I was reminded the other day by a friend of a central yogic principle, which is around needing to have balance between the generating force, the organizing force and the destructive force. If we look at the world now, I mean, we can see you know how much the destructive force you know, is, is doubled down and is kind of taking hold. And and we look at our own bodies, and we can see how that affects us you know, individually. But then, in our systems, you know that destructive force is so apparent. You know, I can see the value of all of us kind of really focusing our energies on that generative force. I think this is a time that we need to really orient towards that work, you know, I'm always curious about what that looks like in technology and how we can enter quality relationships online. Because for me, it feels like the quality comes from the magic that happens in person, you know, all of the sensitivity stuff that happens when we're communicating, as you were talking about at the start. Maybe it is about the intention with which we are connecting with each other online. How do we scale that, you know? And what's the multiplier effect of it? I think I
2: can bring an intention of connecting very deeply, say, through this call. You can bring the same, but what about the architecture of our connection allows for the synergistic effect to be unlocked, right? Where one plus one is greater than two, where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So it's that I have brought this in and you are bringing this in and it's coming together to create something entirely different. It's like if you look at So many examples all over nature. Nature is rooted in this kind of synergy. You bring some hydrogen together, you bring some oxygen together, neither one of the two are are liquid. And yet when they come together in in a certain formation, you have a whole new property, which is water, which is liquid, which is so useful. And so the question is, how can our architectures of connection support us in this kind of a way? And I think that if financial capital is our only fuel that's going to support the creation of these technologies and these solutions and these innovations, I think it's extremely limited because money has very short feedback loop. Money is geared towards transactions. It's optimized for efficiency and not resiliency. And that is very useful in so many remarkable ways. So that's fantastic. But how do we then juggle that with complementary possibilities? How do we not just double down in this one direction? And I think that's the question that keeps coming back. I just see that you have the wheels of the markets and the kinds of innovations they crank out are all biased towards appealing to our base instincts, towards appealing to cheap connections, and then to provide sedatives to compensate I feel so dissatisfied that I only have, whatever, five Facebook friends in a meaningful way. And even that, like on my birthday, you just post something on my wall. But I just read this data, 18 to 30-year-olds, you know, 73% of them think that, yeah, mostly you just look out for yourself. You know, mostly everybody looks out for themselves. Their trust is just plummeting. And when we are creating that kind of a context... Like depression in the last decade has gone up 73% in 18 to 25-year-olds from Pew Research. Mm -hmm. So how do we compensate for all of that? Where is the field in which we are going to be creating the solutions? And how does the nature of the field, in this case, the nature of the capitals, what is the through line between the kind of capitals we use
0: and the innovations that we are going to manifest in the world? just reminded me of the importance of story capital, right? The stories we are telling ourselves about what it means to be human, the stories we're telling each other. For so long, I've always thought that when we plant, the roots are going to be competing with each other. You know, we have to be careful about what plants we put next to each other. But my partner is an incredible gardener, and I've I've just seen that that's not the case at all. Mostly, everything is caught in cooperation. And, you know, what story was I being told to think that everything was working on its own? And how has that fed me to think that as a human being, I'm also in this game for my own So. How do we uh, use story capital to, to move from individualistic plans to to the we? And how, where are we seeing that in the mainstream media? You know, who are the storytellers that are going to lead us in this direction? I mean, this is why I love the work that you're doing, Nathan,
2: with Dumbo Feather and all that you stand for is so important. One of our volunteers says it really well. She's a remarkable person drafted like constitutions for entire countries. And she says, we govern to control vice, But I think we need to now create institutions that amplify virtue. If you don't even have that narrative of what's possible, you're just going to think everyone's out to get you, which is what all 18 to 30-year-olds do think now. And even there was this research in the UK, they asked, are you compassionate, kind, pro-social? In this case, I think it was 75%, maybe 74. My memory might fail me, but it was a big percentage of the people that are like, yeah, I believe that I should care for other people. And I am like that. And then they asked, what percentage of others do you think are like that? And it was 23%. Wow. So there's this huge gap. So in actuality, 75% of the people care to be pro-social, connected, compassionate, caring. And they identify themselves as that. But then when you ask them, how many of others? And they're like, no, no, but the rest of the world, oh, that's just 23%, you know? And that's a colossal failure of story. That's a colossal failure of narrative. Even if you look in our teams, in businesses everywhere, right? Like if you just say, nice guys finish last, that's the story. And that's just not true. <laughs> like that's, That person has not done uh, serious research. Like, do you want to be in a team full of takers? And all major companies have realized that that doesn't quite work. So how do we turn this in a direction culturally, institutionally, and even individually? I think that the stories and the narratives we hold is really critical.
0: Mm-hmm. So the three forms of capital that you've been advocating a lot are attention capital, time capital, community capital. We've talked quite a bit about community capital. I'd love to unpack attention, actually.
2: Yeah, I would love to. I was in a meditation retreat when the pandemic came, you know, 30 days uh, when you're just observing the inner mechanics. For me, it's very critical and I think it's very humbling when you realize that human beings have an eight-second attention span. And we design with that assumption. Forget there was this librarian that coined this word. I forget her name, Linda. She coined this word called continuous partial attention. Mm-hmm. That we got our headphones on, we're looking at one screen, then we're doing something else, then we got our phones, and we're like constantly. Yeah, and and in between we have like thirty thousand other thoughts, you know, (laughs) and we're just frantic, and we want to feel like, oh, I stand for something, you know, and I have meaning, and I'm going to make a difference, and then it's like all of a sudden that thought comes, and then by the time you can actually do something meaningful, you're gone, and so what our interns this last summer. Uh, We have this internship. And so what our interns were talking about is performative activism, you know, (laughs) that you're you're just doing stuff so you can look you're performing uh, for other people, especially on social media. um, and, And they even have a name for that, you know. And so it's just because everything's so so fluid. So it becomes very complicated when you have such turbulence on the inside. How do we start to be able to focus, Mm. be able to look at yourself and say, I'm breathing? Mm. You know, again, a lot of people think this is like, okay, great. I'll do that when I'm retired or when I'm stressed out or when I have extra time. One of my friends, uh, he was working on Wall Street and he was billing every three minutes. And it was like, go, 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 go. At the end of the year, his boss comes in and he tells him, That we've had a phenomenal year. What would you like? And he says, What I would love is a minute of silence before every team meeting. Yeah. Wow. So his boss initially said, No. (laughs) They're like, What a waste of time doing nothing? Like, what's the point of that? But you're cultivating attention capital. And when you do that, you're tuning into other people. We're talking about moving from transaction to relationship. And if you can't even tune in, If we're eight seconds and you're like scanning, zoom, 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 or you're constantly like, you don't even know how to listen with that kind of short and attention span. You can say I'm here and I'm listening, but how deep is that listening? What are you listening to? Are you just listening to make a judgment and then go to the next thing and increase polarity in the world, which is what we're seeing. And so what these guys ended up doing was they found it to be so meaningful, just 60 seconds to land. That one minute went to two to three to five. And now once a week, they do 30 minutes on Wall, on Wall Street. And if you ask them, what's the impact of this? I know the impact of your three minutes because I get the billable hours, right? What's the impact of this? And they will tell you that it's changed the relationship with each other. It's changed the way in which they do a lot of the things they do. They started to do a 21-day kindness challenge doesn't take extra time. Every so often, various companies do this. Like at the end of a meeting, they will all have a deck of cards with a kindness idea on each one. And you go out and do that small act of kindness, right? And when you do that small act, the next check-in at the next meeting is what you have done for other people. And that's just a way to check in, but that's a way to bring something so much deeper about who you are. Imagine, Nathan, if you and I were working together, right? Like, and... And now before every meeting, you're like, not just like saying some random thing or moving on or not paying attention or checking your text or all that. Instead, I arrive, I listen and I say, hey, you know, what was that small little thing you did for somebody else? You know, what did you go and you took your daughter out and you, you know, went to the store and you wrote a little letter of appreciation for the person behind the counter. And they said, oh, my God, I have never it received anything like this in my life and the joy and the smile. And then when you share that at our checking table, and then we're going to go and create some technology together, or we're going to go do some other work together. Clearly, that kind of a thing has a huge multiplier effect. All of it is rooted in this
0: idea of first, just being able to just be here and now. Yeah. When you were talking before about when our attention is kind of moving all over the place, we become quite performative. We hit a very superficial, one-dimensional layer of ourselves and expression of communication. It reminded me that that's also the value of attention capital is so that we start to re-enter the multiplicity of ourselves. There's so much complexity that we're holding. That attention capital, that you know, being able to spend time with self helps us to access as many layers. And suddenly, you know, we're able to bring the richness of that to our, our conversations as well. And it's obviously incredibly beneficial for us. So it's about holding the complexity, being able to hold the complexity.
2: I think it's about being able to also then be able to nuance uh, yeah. so many of the different. In a lot of the intellectual people are constantly thinking that they do this intellectual nuance, but that's one form of nuance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many other forms of nuancing the experience of life. And and a lot of it is non-intellectual or beyond intellectual, beyond even the mind. And if we don't know how to be still, how to be in the present without an agenda, without wanting to sort of go back and forth in in a transactional way, I think we just sell ourselves short. We can't unlock a lot of these capitals that would only get unlocked when we afford ourselves this kind of a landing in the present Mm -hmm. moment.
0: And the thing that you've been saying, you know, all this time, is the reason why we do the inner work, the inner transformation first, the reason why we access these many forms of, of capital is so that we can rebuild the systems in a way that we're not just kind of using the same tools, we're not doing it from the same place that we have done. You know, the inner transformation, the inner work comes first, and it's from that place that we are then able to rebuild the systems. It's the kind of relationship, right, that you're always teasing out between the inner and the outer. I absolutely agree with that. Our motto and service space, right?
2: Our tagline is change yourself, change the world. I think change the world, change yourself. That's very, very different. Maybe that's possible, but I find that you get very distracted and caught up. And then you miss out this incredible gear that you're capable of. The human apparatus is so incredibly intricate and deep and powerful. And yet we are insisting, instead of the 5G connection with life, we are insisting on the dial-up connection, you know, the AOL connection. And we've <laughs> built all our systems around that. I'm like, well, why are we doing this to ourselves, you know? And when you go and say, talk about 5G, people are like, no, no, that's impossible. That's, no, where did you read that in a science fiction novel? You know, I'm like, this is my experience, you know, you can experience it too. And, and I think generosity for a small act of kindness. But it is a entry, is a gateway into that. And I think designing for multiple forms of capital. You talked about stories. I was talking about time, how people can contribute their time. We we're talking about attention capital. We we're talking about cultivating technologies and using some of that wisdom capital, the courage to, you know, serenity to not touch what is not yours to change, the courage to change what you can and the wisdom to know the difference. And all of that. There's wisdom capital. Where is a wisdom council at a, at a major tech company to help you distinguish between the serenity part and the courage part? And those kinds of things, I think, as a culture, we have to ask those questions individually and I think institutionally. But I think for in service space, we've been asking them at a much more meta-cultural level as well. Tell us a little bit about your experience with multiple forms of capital. I mean, you're running an organization in Australia and you've got a lot going on. How
0: have you related to this idea of multiple forms of capital? I'm looking after the storytelling part of the Small World Giants Academy work and Dumbo Feather work. So I am very invested in in story capital. And that's kind of why I brought that up. I think a lot about the capital of culture as well. And, you know, it's very related to story. What is the culture that we are creating that is going to move us in a different orientation, move us from the place of individualism to the place of the we. I feel very strongly about the culture and the relationship between individual consciousness, the stories we are telling, and then the culture that we create. So I see a lot of value in that. I'm always thinking about time capital and how I can use my time more effectively to be of service to the world. Recently, I've really had that shift of understanding, you know, we were talking before about generosity and the flow that comes from giving and the giving back that comes when we are giving forward. And I really want to kind of hone in on that because I think there's reminding ourselves of that feeling helps us to keep perpetuating and to keep feeling of service and being of service to the world do you feel that it's easy for the community around you to embrace this yeah it's been really wonderful to see this community kind of grow and to you know, really engage with as i said that garden and then this time has meant that more of us are out more of us are getting to know each other and as soon as you start to know your neighbors you know you feel that community support it doesn't really feel like the feeling of just doing this on your own starts to feel a bit ugly and yuck you know so, oh, yeah. so why wouldn't I want to orient out towards the window? You know, because yeah. people are there. People are willing to receive me. People are willing to give. People want to receive. Uh, you know, vegetables from the garden or preserves that we're making. Whatever it is, there's just such a more centering state from those connections from the community capital that comes. We sleep better. There's a greater sense of well-being that I that I know to be true.
2: Okay. Yeah. I think thinking in terms of capital, what is a currency? Let's take compassion. Compassion is a capital. Maybe kind acts is your currency. What does that look like at scale? And then what is the benefit to society? You know, you can look at technology and you can say, that's the currency I have. And what are the systems and the effectiveness? Nature, you're gardening, you're talking about that. Organisms could be a kind of currency at scale It creates an ecosystem. And the biodiversity, it is the unique sort of value that starts to emerge. So you can start to do this across the board and you say, where are the currencies? You have markets where you can trade. Money is so liquid. Money can start to flow. And where are the markets for all this other stuff? What's the currency? And maybe some of this stuff is beyond currency. How do we build a bigger pie? You know, We are working with extrinsic motivators, money, power, and fame. And that has some value and it gets us to a certain point. And then we're all fighting about for that one pie. And now the question is, how do you build a bigger pie? So in service space, right, like we are working with just time capital. And Mm -hmm. most of the times from the lens of that small piece, you're like, no, it's impossible. Everything's got to be here framed in my little small kind of capital. But we discovered that there's not only millions of people that want to contribute, but that's a completely underutilized resource. Yes, it's not easy to just make meaningful use of it. But we're tackling problems like old age. And we're talking about, I mean, technology sector. I live in the Silicon Valley, you know, I grew up in the Silicon Valley. And so here you have these guys, they're saying, look, death is a disease, and we just need greater innovations to solve death. Like this is on the cover of all the magazines. And we're asking those questions, and those questions somehow seem okay. But can we use that creativity and enthusiasm to solve really hard questions and to Mm -hmm. say, what does it mean? Everyone knows there's millions of people that want to contribute their gifts, their talents, their stories. And everyone who has done this work, even in the slightest, will tell you that is a completely underutilized pot. And so why is that? Why aren't we able to solve that? Why don't we put more of our
0: human collective energy into addressing these kinds of issues? I love it. So we've got a a question from Alex Todd. He's asking, how can the various types of capital be used as a currency for exchanging value? Are there mechanisms, tools, or technologies that facilitate the accumulation and exchange of these types of capital? Uh, I mean, I think, well, part of the problem is we have many
2: mechanisms that encourage accumulation and not circulation and not Mm -hmm. flow. And so, yes, we have mechanisms, but those mechanisms itself tend to be biased in a certain direction. And so how do we create new mechanisms that encourage, maybe by accumulation, I don't think you mean like, you know, becoming a billionaire in time capital, <laughs> but I think what you're talking about, I, I, I'm guessing, Alex, is you're saying that, you know, how do you create a store of value? Money is very good, in the store of value. So how do you create a store of value so you have something and that you can then flow uh, in a meaningful way? I think there are many forms of capitals. I think we can leverage technology, current technologies, to create platforms for that. Service Space has been doing that with millions of hours of time capital in a very clear way. I have been doing that uh, to cultivate my own attention capital because I'm very mm-hmm. uncomfortable with the idea that I, like. I sit down and I watch my breath. And just a couple of minutes later, it's gone into its own thing. I'm like, wait a second, I didn't tell you to go. And if under the hood, if you can't even be with your breath for five minutes, what are you going to do outside? You know, you're probably just going to vomit a lot of that turbulence outside and create up problems for other people. So, so yeah, I think we owe it to ourselves to ask this question. I don't have the answers per se, but I think this is a very important question and I think it can be a good sort of jumping board. To say that, you know, if you're running a team, even if you're working with a small group of people on a short-term basis, uh, you say, how can I move this to a higher bandwidth connection? And invariably, that's going to require you to honor and incorporate multiple forms of capital in that engagement. When you do that, you create a whole different field of synergy. Yes, there are many expressions of capital? Yes, we should be asking that question. We have some platforms that can facilitate this kind of exchange, but I think in a very deep way, we just need to create new platforms because there's a very low ceiling. If you use extrinsic motivators to create a platform that multiply intrinsic motivators, there's an inherent paradox there. So that means that it's just going to have a very low ceiling. So I think we need to create some of these solutions with ecosystems that are engaged in different kinds of wealth, from kinds of currencies.
0: And I love the question you always put forward when people kind of ask, "Where do I start?" You know, your question is, "Well, what form of ve- what form of wealth capital do you want to amplify? What is the one that you most re- that most resonates with you?" And then you go out and you start to kind of perpetuate that. So it's, it's the starting point is just to feel that resonance. Question from Carrie. She says, connecting this to shifting to a new form of capitalism, what practices would you suggest to people just starting to think about these forms of capital? Do you have resources for getting started? Yeah,
2: there's many people trying many different things. So I would say expose yourself to different ideas. I would say ask different questions. Um, are you in a give or take ecology or Is your team a largely taker ecosystem or a matcher ecosystem or a giver ecosystem? I think asking those kinds of questions takes you down a very different track. I'll give you this example because this was amazing. We have so many examples of people that are doing different experiments. So one monk said he came out with a CD and he says, I will accept kindness capital as a part of payment for the CD. So if you do an act of kindness and you tell me the story, I'll accept it. We hosted a whole conference where you had tickets. This was at Zeller Zellerbach Hall. So it was like big hall, famous place, and all kinds of people were there. And we said, look, you can buy a ticket with money, but you can also, we also accept, not just Visa and MasterCard, right? We also accept kindness and creativity and time and attention capital, which meant that if you do five acts of kindness and you tell us the stories, We will accept that. We will honor that. If you go out and volunteer for a nonprofit in the community and you, you know, share with us what you did, we will accept that. If you make a selfie, uh, rather a video selfie about the theme of the conference and tell us why that's meaningful to you, we will accept that. If you spend eight hours in meditation and write a reflection, we will accept that as a currency. And so here you had 800 people, but 300 of them were with alternate forms of wealth And what happens in that kind of a space? I mean, it was amazing. The kind of videos we got, we were like, this is so powerful. We can't just accept it as like a ticket price. We have to bring these people on stage. We have to show this video to everybody. And now imagine you didn't even pay financial currency for this, and now you are being represented on the screen. How is that engagement gonna drive your interactions in the off hours? It's just going to be remarkable. And we saw this in this alive ecosystem over a two day conference at at Zellerbach at UC Berkeley. And so these kinds of things are possible, right? And and so I think we need to experiment. The greatest resource is our hearts. I think we just need to tap into that. We need to honor people for more than just a singular gift that they bring. And I think we need to go even beyond people individually and just look at the whole as being greater than the sum of the parts. And I think asking those questions is probably, at this point in our culture, that's probably the greatest thing we can do. And I'm here, if you want to, you know, do that with me. I know Nathan's here. I know Nathan and I are doing that together, you know, as well. And and I think that's what makes it stronger. Um, Hmm. So I I think if we can circulate this kind of wealth, I don't know what kind of wealth this is, but this kind of a possibility, uh, I think we'll all be better off.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you so much for sharing all of that goodness. Thank you. Uh, for holding. Yes. Thank you to SOCAP for hosting us, uh, and thanks for, for being part of this. See you soon. Thanks to Napoon and Socap, and thanks to the guys at Cheshire Audio and Yaga for editing this episode. I'm also very grateful to you and everyone who's been part of and supported our work at Dumbo Fetler this year. We're looking forward to sharing more stories and conversations of hope and change through 2021. Big love to you all.